at Luke's account of this glorious narrative, meaning I have no frills to offer you tonight, church, nor do I have any jokes to tell you, movie clips to play you, or promotional items to try to peddle to you, but instead all I have to offer you this evening, church, is the infallible and inerrant and breathed-out Word of God concerning the life-changing and world-altering accounts of the birth of Jesus Christ, which I promise you, church, will be absolutely sufficient for us tonight and forevermore. And thus, our thesis statement this evening, or the main theme of our message this evening, it is this, the birth account of Jesus Christ is a narrative grounded in the truth about the one who calls himself the truth and who offers life in his name. Again, our thesis statement this evening, the birth account of Jesus Christ is a narrative grounded in the truth about the one who calls himself the truth and who offers life in his name. Therefore, at this time, let's open our Bibles up to Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. And if you are joining us tonight and do not have a Bible with you, please know that is okay. However, let me lovingly encourage you at this time to please grab one of our church Bibles, which are located in the chairs in front of you, and to turn that Bible to page 857. And join us as we, as a church family, hear the Word of God together this evening. For again, we are in the Gospel of Luke tonight, looking specifically at Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 7, where the author, Dr. Luke, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writes, In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered, This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, how profound, how beautiful, how true, how wonderful is this narrative you have given us tonight. Your word about the birth of your son, the God-man, Jesus Christ, who took on flesh to live and to dwell amongst us, to save us from Satan's power when we have gone astray. Father, open the eyes of any individuals here this evening who do not know Jesus Christ. Open their ears, soften their hearts to the beauty of the gospel I pray that you send your spirit this evening to convict them, Lord, that they are sinners, that they cannot save themselves, but we celebrate tonight because you, God, love this world so much, you sent a Savior 
someone who is able to save us from our sins. Lord, I pray you help my lisping and stammering tongue this evening. Let me speak boldly, courageously, humbly, confidently, not because these words are my own, but because these are your words, Father, infallible, inerrant, and true. Do this wonderful work, I pray, so that you, Father, be glorified in Jesus' name. Amen. So again, church, our thesis statement this evening, or the main theme of our message this evening is this, the birth account of Jesus Christ is a narrative grounded in the truth about the one who calls himself the truth and who offers life in his name. So as we open here in Luke chapter 2, verse 1, we see right off the bat that in those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered, meaning that Caesar Augustus, the emperor of Rome at this time, that he gave a decree. That decree being that the entire Roman Empire was to be registered at that this time or that a census was to be taken at this time, very likely for taxation purposes. And that this was, as we see in verse 2, the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And that's what we are dealing with here, church, as R.C. Sproul writes, is not that of once upon a time or fairy tale type stuff, but instead it is real people located in real places making real sober history. Which means then that since this was a real decree given by a real emperor ruling over a very real and very massive and very powerful Roman Empire that everyone then living in said Roman Empire had to return back to their own town or to the hometown of their ancestors in order, verse 3, to be registered. And one of those people who had to do so, church, verse 4, was a man by the name of of Joseph, who was at this time, verse 5, betrothed to a woman named Mary, or legally set to become married to this woman named Mary. However, because of this decree, church, Joseph now had to take a roughly 70-mile journey from Nazareth uphill all the way to Bethlehem in order to be registered. But as we see in the text, Joseph here, he did not take this trip alone, but instead his bride-to-be Mary, she decided to go along with him. Even though, church, she was not required at this time to go along with him, and even though she was also, church, verse 5, with child, as in pregnant with the child that was conceived inside of her by Luke 1.35, the Holy Spirit. Which leads to the question then for why does Mary here go with Joseph on some 70-mile uphill journey all while being, as the King James Version puts it, great with child? And when answering that question, our minds, church, kind of instinctively tend to gravitate toward the idea that this loving couple, that being Mary and Joseph, that they just naturally wanted to be together no matter what for the birth of this child named Jesus Christ, which is an argument that I certainly do not doubt. 
However, I want to pause here for a second, church, in order to help us all see and to grasp and to understand here a little bit more deeply the big picture of what is ultimately taking place here in the text. And what I mean by that is that even though we are dealing with real emperors here, making real decrees here and requiring real people here to travel some 70 miles to a place called Bethlehem in order to be counted for a census here. What we must never fail to realize is that behind it all, God is ultimately the one who is sovereign and in control and providential over everything that is taking place in the text. And I say that specifically here because approximately 700 years before any of these decrees were made or any of these people were even born, the word of the Lord via the prophet Micah declared that you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth from me the one who is to be the ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days, Micah 5, verse 2. In essence, profoundly declaring that the Christ, that the Messiah, and that the Savior of the world would be born not in Nazareth church, nor in Jerusalem, church, nor in Egypt, Samaria, Rome, or Macedonia, church, but that the Christ would ultimately be born in a little town called Bethlehem. And thus God, who is sovereign over Caesar, church, sovereign over the Roman Empire, church, and sovereign over every decree of man, church, he then uses all of them here, church, to bring Mary and Joseph and his son Jesus Christ to Bethlehem. Just as the Virgin Mary, verse 6, was about to give birth. And yet, for as special and as significant and as miraculous as this moment in history truly was, verse 7, there was no place for them in the inn. Meaning that the Virgin Mary had to give birth in the place where the travelers who actually got to stay in the inn would keep their stinky and noisy and unclean livestock. And thus it was their church in a stable rood where the Savior of the world, Jesus Christ, was wrapped in swaddling cloths and gently laid in a manger, i.e. in an animal's feeding trough because there was simply, verse 7, no room for them in the end. Not exactly, church, the kind of glamorous or celebrated or regal entrance into the world that you would expect the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords to make. However, that's the point here, church, because this account of the birth of Jesus Christ again, it is not some made-up story or legend or movie that was written by Hollywood and produced by Disney with the goal of meeting all of the societal expectations of our day. But instead, this narrative concerning the birth of Jesus Christ, it was founded and it will forevermore be grounded, church, in the truth 
feeding trough and all of when God the Father sent his only begotten son, Jesus Christ, into time, into space, and into this world, conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, to a lineage, or to a father of the lineage of David in a little town called Bethlehem. In order, church, to preach the gospel to the world, bear the sins of many, crush the serpent's head, destroy the works of the devil, save sinners from their sin, and reign over a kingdom that will have no end, but instead will endure forever and ever and ever. For that is why we celebrate Christmas, church. Not because we get a day off at work, get to eat a fancy meal, and to open up some presents, but because God the Father so loved the world that he sent his son Jesus Christ into the world, and not to condemn the world, but instead in order to save it. And that by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone, we then can receive life in his name. Therefore, thanks be to God this evening and forevermore, church, for the way, the truth, and the life, and for the indescribable gift of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who took on flesh to live and to dwell amongst us and to save us from our sins. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we cannot fathom this gift that we have received, that God himself, the Son of God, came into this world, took on flesh to live and to dwell amongst us, to pay the price that we could not pay, to die for our sins so that we, by grace, through faith, could be reconciled back to the Father forever. Lord, to anyone struggling this evening with whatever this world may be throwing their way, let them cling to this hope tonight. It is an eternal hope, not a fading hope, not a once-in-a-while type hope. It is an eternal hope by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, there is eternal life in his name. Lord, I pray to the individual tonight that does not know Christ, oh, that they cling to him and celebrate Christmas like never before. Amen and amen.